Hey guys, welcome back to Joko Yo. This is episode number 30 something. And we're going to extend out. Uh, the last couple episodes have been about, uh, let's see, about baseball and, and has been about... Well, uh, another another Smithfield politician that hoped things would turn out the way he wanted it to, but didn't. We also had before that we had two princes and talking about uh, two people that lived in Pineville, which you know was a farm, and these two guys, not related whatsoever, made massive impacts on North Carolina and Johnston County history, of course. And today we're going to speak about another person that. He's pretty he's pretty big time. You know, for Johnston County. How oh, heck he's big time for North Carolina. And um if you live around the Clayton area, you'll know this name. If you don't live around the Clayton area, you might you might still know this name, but if you you know, you might not. But I'm not gonna hit that quite yet. I ain't gonna tell you about the about uh well on a national level. In in early in early March of 1841, we had a new president of the United States, and that's kind of cool. And in early 1841, the reason why I have I say March is because he was inaugurated in early March, and the reason why he's inaugurated in early March is because that's when the inaugurations used to happen was in early March. But of course now it's January. But this guy, this guy is a hero, a hero of the War of eighteen twelve, and um, and he he campaigned against uh, Martin Van Buren. It put it gives you some idea about how old it was. If you don't, then Martin Van Buren was the president after Andrew Jackson. This is how far back we're going. And new president inaugurated early March eighteen forty one. His name was William Henry Harrison. Big time hero of the War of eighteen twelve, as I said, um, he was inaugurated early March, and he died in early April. He is also not only a new president at the time; he's also the shortest serving by a long shot. He only made it a month. Now, William Henry Harrison had been president nineteen days. When Johnston County had a, a dude uh, big in its history get born, and when this kid was eight days old, William Henry Harrison was dead. So <laughs> there's that. But the guy I'm speaking of uh, on a, was born on a family farm outside of modern-day Clayton. His name is Ashley Horn. He was one of nine children. His father was Benaja. I want to say it right. Benaja? Benaja? I don't know. Wish you were here here to tell me, but his father Benaja had been a farmer that had diversified into business and was respected enough in the pre-stalling station era Clayton that he had served as a magistrate there as well as being a a farmer businessman. Now Benaja had an estate in 1860 worth about fifteen thousand dollars, making him then one of the wealthier people in Johnston County, according to all accounts. The man was charitable, he was generous, friendly, but nevertheless, he wanted his children to move away from here. He wanted him to have, them to have better opportunities. He believed, as a lot of people did, that education was the way to do so, even if the state of North Carolina did not, and so he paid for them to go to school. 
Now, by all accounts, um, his son, his older son, Needham, Needham was an obedient son, and he followed his father's direction pretty well, eventually becoming a doctor, and um, so that's good. But Ashley, well, Ashley did go to school for two years at the Roxborough School under a teacher named William Jones, a graduate of Wake Forest and Brown University in Rhode Island. Some accounts place Ashley as skipping a lot of school. One story had Ashley as a child of nine years old. This is one of my favorite stories ever. Nine years old, going to town, telling people that his father sent him to buy cows on his credit. He didn't have any money, of course. Little nine-year-old Ashley doesn't have any money. But he's telling people in town to sell him some cows. His father said so. So on, on his father's credit, people would sell him the cows. Anyway, and place the purchase on his father's credit. He would then take those cows all the way to Raleigh, sell them for a small profit, go back to Clayton, pay off the loan, and keep the change. That's Ashley Horn. Now, when 1860 rolled around, the boys went to war. Now, it's not that they were all that patriotic, according to what I've read, and, de- and, and according to what I've read about Ashley Horn, he doesn't seem to care about slavery one way or the other. Not saying that's good, but still, it's not that he's fighting for a cause. They decide to join the Confederacy because, I mean, they're getting drafted otherwise, and so they went to war. Benaja offered his home and carriage and money to his fellow citizens. There are stories about when people came back from war, came back from battle, injured from Clayton, that Benaja offered his his carriage and his horses to take him from the train depot to the hospital. Again, people in the community seemed to love him. And Ashley and Samuel and Hardy, another son, and Needham, when they joined the Confederacy in 1860, rather than be drafted, it didn't turn out the same way for all three. For one, all four. For one, Needham died. For two, Samuel Horn and Hardy Horn uh, were captured and put in prisons, and they were POWs. Ashley himself was actually at Appomattox under Robert E. Lee's regiment, and he was one of eight to tell Joseph Johnson of Lee's surrender in, in Greensboro. When the war was over, he had to walk home barefoot. And so in 1864, when the war is over, he came home, as it's, well, as it's about to be over, he came home and found that the home and lands were occupied by William Sherman and his army. When asked to return, he saw his home in ruins, still occupied, all the food gone, all the horses gone, the land was barren, and even the fences had been burned for campfires. He was completely, completely incensed and really angry about what Sherman's troops had done. And so one night, he went to Raleigh. He snuck into Sherman's camp at night. He was actually on the Sherman was on the way to meet Johnston in Durham for Johnston's surrender. And one night in General William Tecumseh Sherman's camp, Ashley Horn stole back two of his horses. Somehow didn't get caught. 
brought them back home, used them, had a little bit of cash, some credit, and with those he bought seeds, tools, and farmed tobacco as hard as he possibly could to try to, you know, build it back up. Now, after a little bit, with the money he made, he invested in more tobacco, wood, and made sure to use as much use, to make as much use out of Clayton's new railroad to get his stuff to market as he possibly could. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, he didn't really trust the railroad. Um, the railroad to him was owned by outsiders, union people like the ones that occupied his home, and he started a wagon train to Raleigh to compete with it. He claimed that the railroad was overcharging him and everybody else in the area. And the railroad began messing out on Clayton's business because he encouraged a boycott, which worked, and eventually the railroad gave in to offer lower rates. One of the few people that seems to have stood up to the railroad and succeeded. It's going to build him a lot of political capital. And he's going to make a little bit of cash. He's going to eventually make enough because of all these things. He's going to end up buying Captain A.M. Noble's store. And Noble, if you recall from a previous episode, sold his store and his entire merchandise to buy lots to form the new town of Selma down the way a little ways. And as one of Clayton's businessmen and one of Johnston's up-and-comers, he was actually elected to represent Johnston County in the State Senate in 1884, was on the committee that established NC State College, helped start the North Carolina Agricultural Society. He was chosen president of the new Clayton Banking Company. He was president of the Clayton Cotton Mill Chemical Company and and the director of six other companies by the time 1905 rolls around. And, and in between all there, he represented Johnston in North Carolina Senate, as I said before, and he... Yeah. Well, now, Mr. Horn's uh, NC Senate term didn't last very long. I guess he had to get busy with business or, or what have you, because, see, Mr. Horn is going to drop get out of the NC Senate and he'll be replaced in um, by Johnston voters with a man named James H. Pugh P-O-U. You may have heard Mr. Pugh's last name with his his father Edward William and James H. Pugh was a lawyer in Smithfield he served in the NC Senate in 1887 and 1888 he's also the brother of Edward William number two who was the son, of course, of his father. Well, he's going to keep making cash, and in 1908, he figures he has enough physical capital and enough political capital, he decides that North Carolina needs a new governor. Now, his opponent in the governorship was a man named William Walton Kitchen, a brother of a guy named Claude, a U.S. congressman. Now, I'm not a real big fan of these two guys, William Walton Kitchen, or Claude Kitchen for that matter. Both Kitchen boys have been very well educated. Ashley Horn, <laughs> two years of, of school at all, really, if, if, if even that. Ashley Horn, while he was no champion for the rights of black men and women, or heck, no champion for poor white ones either, 
Ashley Horn said that he believed that everybody was born poor and all had to fight to survive. Well, that's not really, you know, some people, different opportunities, but Kitchen and his brother Claude, on the other hand, helped form a group in the late 1800s with a man named Fernifold Simmons called the Red Shirts. It was a violent white supremacist organization. Claude had even pushed for laws that attempted to bypass the 14th Amendment and was successful enough that historians pretty much are in unison about this, helped his brother beat Ashley Horn in 1908 by suppressing the black vote and scaring people from voting. He cheated. And he was bad. <laughs> now, Furnival Simmons was also helping others in political office through this whole um, white supremacist situation. See, Furnifold Simmons not only helped the Kitchen Boys, well, he also is going to help another person, like, like Edward William Pugh, the son. And Edward William Pugh is going to know Furnifold Simmons well enough. Now, Furnifold Simmons is the architect behind this whole Red Shirt campaign. He's the architect behind voter suppression. He's the architect behind terrorism of black citizens. And he's going to be Edward William Pugh's law partner. Pugh benefited from Simmons' help and was elected to Congress in 1900, the same as William Walton Kitchen, who beat Ashley Horn for the governorship in 1908. Both those gentlemen are going to benefit from a relationship with Furnifold Simmons. Edward William Pugh remained in Congress all the way through World War I and until his death in 1934, two years into the Franklin Roosevelt administration. Horn went back to business and invested so much money back into Clayton that the town was considered by some to be the richest town per person in the entire country. The very different men. One relied mostly on himself, the other seemed to benefit from his own political connections. But they both knew and they served with a man that benefited from neither, and who, it can be said, was ruined by the success of both of them. You see, I would imagine it would be very, very hard to be a person in Johnston County politics at the time whenever you're surrounded by a man like Edward William Pugh, who is pretty much running the show, and, or the family's running sort of the show in Johnston or in Smithfield, and also having to deal with the ridiculous wealth of Ashley Horn. Because you see, I'm sure you probably understand that, that money is going to help buy influence. And a guy they both knew was a guy named Linville Allred. Linville Allred. Um, Linville Allred, in 1911, was a Johnston County representative, same time as Ashley Horn, to the North Carolina House. Horn had earlier represented Johnston in NC Senate, and again, as I said, was replaced by James H. Pugh in 1887-88. Allred represented Johnston in General Assembly in 1911, 1913, and 1914, and and according to everybody, he was a rising star. He was also a mayor of Smithfield in 1915. 
Now, Mr. Linville Allred resigned the mayor's office soon after getting elected to it because he was having, he, he called it, business issues. Now, Linville Allred, his, uh, he was mayor of Smithfield in 1950. Like I said, his father had been a Methodist minister from around Greensboro. In 1898, before all this, Linville was principal of a, guy, of a place called Moncure Academy. He got a law license in 1902. He came to Smithfield to practice law. And again, congenial, friendly, smart. People said he was really sharp. A lot of people call him a rising star in American politics. Not just Johnston County, not just North Carolina, full of promise. But 1915, he decided to resign the mayor's office because of business reasons. He had, he had resigned the NC representative post to be a mayor, but he had resigned the mayor of Smithfield because he was asked to resign. Mr. Allred is in a very particular, very, very tough situation, not having the background politically or the money to be a player, but having to be a player. He bought one of the nicest houses in Smithfield. At that time, it was $10,000, very expensive house. He bought new cars. Almost all of this, mostly on credit of his office. Not, not so much his, 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 his political office, but he was his legal office. He bought a lot of small things on credit. He felt the need to impress and live beyond his means, according to everybody. In contrast to, to you know... William Edward Dodd from uh, from uh, podcast number one, who said he had to live poor. Mr. Allred borrowed too much money. People started calling in the debts. He started to sign documents, not with his own name, but with others. That's bad. That's fraud, forgery. People had accused him of embezzling some of their some of their money. And Mr. Allred eventually decided that he needed to come clean, and he sold, lost all of it. He said even the beds his children slept on, and he left Smithfield never to return. He never went to trial or he was or prosecuted from what I can tell. I could be mistaken, though. And that's it. Keeping up with the Joneses, or the Horns, or even the Pews. Proved to be too much for Mr. Allred, and he never came back to Johnston County. He is spotted, actually, in Irwin, Tennessee, in uh, 1928 and 29, practicing law. Became a judge in Johnston City, Tennessee, in 57. Um, but there it is. Keeping up, keeping up with the Horns and the Pews. Mm. led to one person a rising star real fast come crashing down to earth really fast as well and so that's pretty much it y'all it's been it's been fun and um just a little window into turn of the century really if you look at the years we're talking about it was 100 years ago we're talking about political corruption (laughs) some things just don't change Y'all be good, and uh, until next time, see you later.